our text this morning is Deuteronomy 12, uh, 1 through 14, which for us, as you know, that's a huge passage, but we'll try to get through it all. So Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 14. And as you're turning, I want to uh, start this with a, with a kind of a story. Uh, for many people, they know who this is. Others uh, may not, depending on your generation. Most, most, a lot of you know who uh, uh, Joni Erickson Tata is. I mean, I would hate to have you raise your hand because it would be very embarrassing to some of us who are a little bit older. But we know exactly who it is, and some of the younger may not. But Joni Erickson Tata uh, is is uh, even actually a little older than I am, and, and she's she's still alive. And she is uh, um, she was 16. Uh, she was uh, diving, and she lived up in Massachusetts, diving in the bay there. And hit a rock and was paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, from from the time she's 16 and now she's 80 something, so she's been paralyzed her whole life. And uh, she started a ministry called Joni and Friends, and it's uh, for the dis- disabled, the International dis- Disability Center. And she worshipped and praised God greatly. And in an interview that she had um, years and years ago, someone asked her. They said, "I bet you cannot wait." To get to heaven, so that when you're there, you will be you can get out of the chair and run and jam, jump and dance and do all the things that you've never been able to do for the last 50 years. And uh, she said in her response to this that she truly wasn't waiting. She she couldn't wait to get to heaven. That part was true. But she said the first thing that she would do when she when she got to heaven. in her new uh, glorified body was to drop to her knees and offer a sacrifice of paralyzed praise to Jesus for his faithfulness to her on earth. She said she said she'd had to be still for the Lord for at that time 50 years. And she could not wait to get to heaven to get the opportunity to be still before the Lord by choice. That to her would be the way she would worship God. And you know, that that ideal, how do you worship God? What does worship look like to you in your life? What does it mean to you? And that this morning, as we, uh, this passage, discuss what does it look like to worship God, this great and wondrous holy God. And we're going to, I think, get a picture of that as we read through how God had told the children of Israel through Moses how they were to worship. And then we look and see how that applies to us. Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 14. These are the statutes and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord your God, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispose serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, 
but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offering that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd, and all of your flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice you and your households in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. For you have not yet, you have not as yet come to the rest, to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over to Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, when and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, then to the place the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levites that is within your town, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord your God choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. May these words touch our hearts and change us this morning. God has set before them a blessing and a curse, as we looked last week. He said that he's, this is, he, he's laid it here through Moses. He has set this blessing before them. And he's taken them back to the promise, to Shechem, to the Oaks of Morah. The place of promise that Abraham, to, the place of promise to Abraham, that God would provide the promised land to them. This, this is that promise. God said, here it is. And with this promise, and with the promise of God, they are to cross over to Gilgal and to, ta- and to take the land promised to them. So this, this, is, this is what they're going. With that promise, they've been armed. They're ready to go. They're ready to go into the land. And God says, and when you get there, this is how you're going to live. This, this is what it's going to look like. This is is what your life is going to be. That when you get into that land that I promised to you, you're going to worship me. He said, you are going to worship me. Your life is going to be a life of worship. In verses 1 through 3, these are the statutes and rules that you should be careful to do them in the land land that the Lord, the God God of your Father, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. The rules, the statutes, everything that God gave them, they were to keep them by faith to worship God. God didn't just give them the rules so they'd have a bunch of rules to follow or to give them a bunch of rules so they'd break. God said, this is how you worship me. You're going you, to do this. You're going to obey this. You're going to keep these commandments. You're going to follow this to worship me. You know, When God led the people out of Egypt, it was to worship him. In Exodus 8, in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Go into the Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. 
He over and over said, they may serve me. And Moses, Pharaoh immediately understood what that meant. He, so he didn't have to say, well, does that mean, what does that look like? He understood. Verse 8, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said to them, plead with the Lord, take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. The purpose, God said, I'm going I'm to call you out of Egypt, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt, and you're going to come out and you're going to worship me. You're going to live your whole life as if I am worth it. You're going to live your whole life as an expression of my worth and who I am. This, this is what they were called for. God called them out so they could worship him. And he did this because this was the best for them. To worship him was the best. And so he gave them the rules and the statutes so they would know them. This was that the revelation of God at that time so they would know him and know how to worship him. The point was to worship. They were keeping the sacrifice. They were keeping the rules. They were keeping the commandments. They were to keep all this to worship him. We know they did, but that was the purpose of this. It was about worship. So God says, when you get to the land, when you go in there, you're going in to worship me. So you mean the way they were to eat was to be an act of worship? Yes. The way they were to dress was to be an act of worship? Yes. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, that was to be an act of worship. It was to recognize the worth and worthiness of God. That's why you that's what they were called there to do, is to worship God. But you won't worship me like other people worship their gods. The worship for me is going to be distinct, because I'm not like other gods. So so my worship is not going to be like the other gods. Verse 2 You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispose serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills, and under every green tree. I mean, it, it sounds like a war, doesn't it? You, I mean, you're going to go in, and you're going you're gonna to attack these places. You're going to tear down these altars. You're going to dash to pieces these pillars. You're going to burn their ash with fire. You, you're going to chop down their carved images. I mean, think of, look at the violence of this. It's not just go in there and ignore them. No, when you go in there, you're going to destroy them. Those, those, those other pictures of worship, those, the way they worship, you don't have anything to do with them. You hate them. You're going to hate them. You're going to, you're going to get rid of them. You shall not worship the Lord your God that way. You're going to destroy their name out of that place. They're not going to be part of that. God said, I am not like their God. And your worship of me will be distinct. And you're going to destroy all those idols and all those other ways of worship. Because those all bring death. Those are all centered around death. Those will kill you. And God's doing this for their good because he loves them. The worship of him is for their good. And those ways... Those bring death. God says, I will direct you to the place and the way that you're going to worship me. 
You're not going to look around the way they do it and kind of do it the way. No, I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you how you worship me. It's different. It's not going to look like their worship. Well, you mean there's something wrong with going out and hanging in the groves of trees? Yeah, the way they do it's wrong. They're worshiping themselves. You're going to worship me. Verses 5 and 6. But you shall seek the place that your Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and to make his habitation there. The place of worship with the place that God chooses to put his name and the place he chooses to dwell. I, you know, again, I hope and pray that you, you kind of you hear the marriage language of this passage. That it's not by happenstance that we have this, this picture of marriage. God says, I'm going to put my name on that place and I'm going to dwell there. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to be my habitation. There's going to be that relationship. It's going to be under my name. You're going to destroy those names. You're going to destroy all the other names because that's my name. Could you, could you imagine, and you probably can, a wife marrying a man and still wanting to date her boyfriend, her, her old boyfriend, you know? She, she wants to marry this guy, but, but she wants to, I, I, I'm going to take his name, I'm going to live with my husband, but I still want to date my boyfriend every once in a while. I still want to hang out with him some, my old boyfriend. I said, no, that, that doesn't work. My name is there. You're going to destroy that name. I dwell there. You, you're going to destroy the places they live. This is mine. You know, there's a reason that, that in our marriage traditions that the wife takes the name of the husband and that becomes a household name. This wasn't just some antiquated tradition that we had in, 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 in our Christian culture. There, there was a purpose for this. It was to be a picture of this relationship. God said, this is what this looks like. My name goes there. That's the place I dwell. There you shall go. Verse 6, and there you, shall there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your, your herd and all your flocks. In that place, there you're going to bring all that you have to offer. You, you destroy, you're going to destroy all of that, that, that other worship and destroy those names and, and, and there's going to be a place I choose and I'm going to put my name there. And I'm going to dwell there, and there you bring everything. There's nothing left. You bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithes, your contributions, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the first one of your flock, the very finest you have, you bring it all there to that place, this place of worship. God's telling the children of Israel, this is what you do. When you get into that place, this is how you worship me. This was the place of sacrifice. This was the place that you were to bring your offerings. And this worship was to be joyous. It was to be joyous. It was to, be, to look joyous. It was to be characterized by, by a sense of joy and happiness. 
verse 7, And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. You're going to rejoice in this. You love this. Worship is joyous. It's, it's, it's supposed to be joyous. And we're not talking about, again, we're so quick in our 21st century Christianity to think of worship is what you do between 9 and 12 on Saturday morning. No, this was, a, this was your whole life. Your life was to be marked by joy. Moses was, when he was telling him, he said, it's going to be a joyous life. This, this worship is joyous. But not just you. You're going to lead your whole household in this joy. You are going to lead your whole household in this, in this joyous undertaking of worship. Because God has blessed you. You can see all this is what God has given you. You and your household in all that you undertake. As Moses is directing these people in this, he's saying, guys, whatever you do, it's going to be joyous because you're going to see it as coming from God. So Moses, you mean when I get there and, I, and, 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 and I'm given the task of, of a shepherd, I'm going to be joyous? Yeah, because it's a blessing from God. Moses, when I get there and, 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 and my crops fail, I'm going to be joyous? Yeah, because it's a blessing from God. All that you undertake. And you're going to lead your family in this. Moses, it's going to be joyous. As they were bringing all they had to the Lord, recognizing that everything that, that, that they had come from the Lord, it was going to be a joyous occasion. This is what this is supposed to look like. It's wonderful, joyous worship. Because their life is going to be different. Their life is going to be different when they enter the promised land. It's going, to, it's going to be, it's going to be, it just looks, feels, their whole life is going to be different. Verse 8, you should not do according to all that we're doing here today. No, no, the way we do it here, we're not there yet. It's going to be different. When you enter that promised land, when you enter that place of rest, it's going to be different. Because here, everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. But when you get there, you're going to live different. Now, we know from Judges, though, it didn't change for them. Did it? It should. It didn't. But from Judges 21-25, in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So even after they got there, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They needed a king. They needed a king. But it should have been different. On this side, though, they had not come to the rest and to the inheritance. But when they get there, when they get to the rest, when they get to the inheritance, it's going to be different. Verse 9, For you have not yet as come to the rest and to the inheritance of the Lord that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over to Jordan, 
and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit. And when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, there it's going to be different. There you're going to live different. There you're going to worship me. It's almost an if-then kind of quality of this. You don't worship until you enter that place of rest and inheritance. But when you enter that place of rest and inheritance, you're going to worship me. Now, the rest, the rest is safety from all their enemies. He defines that. This is, we understand what rest is. Rest means you are safe from all your enemies. And the inheritance was the land. But I hope, I hope that when you heard that, yours kind of picked up. Because the land, just the land, was not the inheritance. Just the land was not the inheritance. Because he said in verse 11, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make, make his name dwell there. The inheritance is God. The land's wonderful. But God said he would dwell there. It's not just a piece of property with a great view. That's not the point of the land. The land is, that is the place where God dwells. You're going there. What makes the land great is God is there. This, this is, this is the, the wonderful part of it. There, dwelling in God's presence, in that inheritance, rest. You shall worship continually and all those that are with you. Moses, that's what Moses is telling them. There, while you're there, when you're there in that inheritance, when you're there in that land, and, and, and dwelling in God's presence, God has placed his name there, God is dwelling there, and you're there with him, you're going to worship me continually, you and all those that are with you. Back to verse 11. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions that you present. All your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. This this worship was not to be a Saturday event that you did between nine and eleven. It was supposed they were to, they were to do this. This was the way you praise God. They would bring all they had and, and praise God with it. And 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 the picture of this worship was to be this beautiful, joyous, as you just brought all that you brought, all that you had, and all that you were, and you brought it to the Lord, and you're walking with Him, you're dwelling with Him, and it's to this wonderful, joyous, excitingly happy occasion. Verse 12, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levites that are within your tent, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. The worship that everyone was to be involved with was to be joyous. I mean, can, can, you, can you picture what Moses is trying to get them to see? Moses is saying, when you, when you get to that land and you enter this, you, you, and you're, you're, you're there when God's dwelling presence, and you're bringing all that you have, and, and everyone there, you bring them all together, your sons, your daughters, your family, to this wonderful, joyous worship. 
What a, what an experience that would, was to be for them. And he warns them at the end of this passage. Take care. Take care. Be careful. Be, 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 be careful in this that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see. But at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings. And there you shall do all that I am commanding you. Take careful. Be careful. Make sure that make sure you're worshiping the way I say, the way I command. I'm God. The way I have laid out before you. And make sure that you're only worshiping me. Because only God, God alone, deserves it. So Moses is, is telling these, 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 the children of Israel, here they are, they're, they're ready to go into the land. And he said, this is when you get there, this is what worship is going to look for. I'm going I'm to make my image before you, I'm going to put my name before you, and you're going to go in, you're going to worship me. You're, you're going to be part of this great and joyous life of worship. And all that you do and all that you have, and you're going to bring your family into it, and you're going to bring your household into it, and you're going to bring everyone that you're around into it, into this great, wonderful worship occasion. But, of course, that's only half the, the, the issue this morning. So how does this apply to us? What does this look like? How do we apply this passage or any passage like this to us? What does this look like from this side of the cross? Well, it's exactly the same and completely different at the same time. It's exactly the same and completely different. There's a lot of things we want to hear, and it's going to help you as we went through this to kind of come through. First of all, the purpose. Why did God lead us out of captivity to our sins? From our side. I mean, he did all for his glory, but from our side, so we could worship. We, we were let out so we could worship him. The core of our walk with God is about worship. And I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm talking about this, this, this living with the presence of God, living to, to, the, to the worth and glory of God. When you drink or you do whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is worship. The very core of, of our existence with Him is to worship Him. Even in our sins and failures. It's all about worship. When we acknowledge our sins and failures and confess that our hope is in Jesus Christ, that's worship. That's acknowledging the worth and glory of God. When we talk about how God has blessed us and given us, that's worship. It's acknowledging the worth and glory of God. All that we do, it's about worship. And just like with the children of Israel, God has revealed how we are to worship Him. In case you didn't guess, it's Jesus Christ. This is the perfect image of God. God revealed himself in his law at that time. He replaced it with a better image. That's Christ. And this is the perfect image of God that he has provided for us to worship. 
And just like the children of Israel, faith produces obedience. Always. Always. Faith produces obedience. And they were to be obedient to God's revelation at that time. They were to be perfectly obedient to God's revelation at that time. For that covenant. But we are to be obedient to our revelation of God. Our covenant. Romans 8. Romans, we could read the whole chapter of 8, but we'll just read one first portion of it. But Romans 8.14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. As sons we cry, Abba, Father. Faith produces obedience. And just like they were to destroy all the idols and images of worship in the land they went into, we are to destroy those, those idols and images of worship in our lives. Because just like they produce death in them, they produce death in us. And this is not a very this, this is not a passive passage. It's not like, well, I'm gonna wait and they're gonna die of old age. You know, well, I think that we 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 want to we want to see those those all those 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 idols and, and and things just just oh I just get too old to care about them. No, we're to attack them, to destroy them, to cut them down, to chop them up, to burn them. It's a it's it's it, it's battle language. So I love that song. I thought about it this morning. It's battle language. It's it's a it's 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 going into battle against these these idols and and things in my life that produce death. They're not glorifying God. That's what it should look like. And God said He's going to put His name on you, and He will dwell with you. It's a marriage relationship. That's what that looks like. It's a marriage relationship. Now we're in the engagement period, but it's still valid and binding. Look at Joseph and Mary. But we're waiting on that consummation. And we bring all we have to him. And here's the thing. If their, if their worship was to be marked by joy, what should our worship be marked by? But even greater joy. Because we have a greater revelation. Our worship, our life, our, the way we live should be marked by joy. It should be a joyous life. Even when we're dealing with an eye disease or Parkinson's or divorce. Or court cases, or trouble at work, or all those things. It's joyous. It is to be joyous because we see all these things that's coming from the Lord, don't we? You know what we believe? That all of it came from God? So, regardless of what it is, we are to be joyous in this. And, you know, and we often talk about family worship. And I know 
and I know with small children it's very easy to get frustrated. But I pray that your worship time with your family is a joyous occasion. That it is a joyous occasion. And, and, and you know, I thought about that for me, and I failed at that so often as a father. I failed at that so often. It was not, it was, all right, guys, we're going to get through this. Sit there, listen, and pay attention, and we are going to get through this. My kids would not have characterized it as being joyous. You know, and, and I think even before the children come to the Lord, you know, they should see and recognize the joy that we have. Do they see? Do they? Do they? They see that joy that you have in worshiping God and being part of that. Is that what they see in our lives before they recognize that themselves, or do they see us? Okay, bear down and get to it. You know. Do they see that joy? When we, when we're, when in, in my individual worship, when I in the family experience, do they sit join the corporate worship? Do my kids, do they, do, 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 or your kids, they see that in you? That man, you just love to worship, don't you? You love living life. You love being a part of this because God is so good. By God's grace, may they see that in our lives. Because just like the children of Israel, your life is going to be different when you enter God's rest. Just like them. When we have rest from our enemy, which is God, that was our enemy. We had enmity with God. We have rest from that. We enter into that rest with Him. We have it now. And it's internal by God's grace and mercy. We worship. And our inheritance is Him. And we and, and I realized as I was working on this, you know, we have the same problem in, in, in our 21st century churches that, that many have who see the inheritance as the land. I mean, as you know, there's a lot we call, you know, that, that's in, in dispensational that say, well, the inheritance of, of the the promise was the land. And we have, we have the same problem. You know, heaven is not just a great home with a view. It's about dwelling with God. That's the inheritance. That's, that's, the, that's what makes heaven great. It's about dwelling with God. Being in His presence. If you're looking forward, forward to heaven because of the streets of gold, then you're doing the same thing as those who read about the promised land as a great piece as a great piece of farming property land. As a great piece of farmland. Same thing. If you see the promised land is wonderful because of, of, of man, it's what God gives you. It's this great land and milk and honey and all this. If you don't understand that the part of that promised land with God is going to be there and you want to dwell with him. Dude, just like people that man, I can't wait to go to heaven because I don't have a job there. I get to take it easy all day. You missed the point. Your life's different when you enter God's rest. And in being in this rest, 
You bring all that you have to the Lord, and it is to be with joy. And we live. We're to live in this state of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember what they were to call out of Israel to out of Egypt to do? To sacrifice to the Lord. Same thing. Same picture. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the, by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable is perfect. This living sacrifice includes everything that you have. Everything you have, you're to bring it to this worship of God. Because this is reasonable. This is your spiritual worship. Everything that you have. You mean my family relationships? Yeah. Your health? Yeah. Your job? Yeah. Everything. Bring it to the Lord. And at the end, just like with the children of Israel, God reminds us to take care. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Don't let those idols creep back into your life. Don't let those idols come back in. Bring all your worship to me. Because that's where the joy is. That's where life is. I love you and this is good for you. Doing this for your good. But most of all, because he alone deserves it. He alone deserves the worship. This is what it looks like. This is our life should be a life of worship. Every day, all day. Our time with our family is a living as if God is worth it. Acknowledging the worth and glory of God in all that we do.